This morning we're going to be looking at the Old Testament lesson, of course, which is a really real example of everything Jesus said in the Gospel lesson several years later. And so please look on the back of your bulletin. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 45. We're not going to look at all, but we're going to look at the first eight verses and then the 15th verse. But on the back of your bulletin, please follow along. And, uh, and as I read, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then down to verse 15. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. That's our text. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, the stories of Joseph, of course, in the Old Testament are among the most interesting and exciting in all the Bible. If you've not read them recently, let me encourage you to give yourself a gift and do that, perhaps today or tomorrow sometime. The stories are found in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. This is significant because it covers 14 chapters. That one-fourth of the book of Genesis is about Joseph, which would tell us that this is very important in God's revelation to us. Now, we're going to have to look at, in order to really understand what happens in our text, we've got to look at all these stories before, and so we're going to work our way through these stories up to our text, because our text, you really can't understand it until you see what all goes before it. So we're going to do that. Now, the story, of, uh, the Genesis picks up the story of, of uh, Joseph when he's 17 years old. He is the son of Jacob. He is uh, the, one of 12 sons. He is second to the youngest. But he's a 17-year-old, and evidently he is his father's favorite. And the Bible very pointedly in pointing this out to us, it says that jo- Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And so he favored him in several ways and also did not require much of, as much of him as he did of his brothers. For example, you know the story, of course, of the coat, that uh, Jacob has this special coat made for him, has long sleeves, has many colors, of course, and that's, that doesn't set well with his brothers because they've never received such a lavish gift from their fathers, and so they're not at all pleased with this. And then, uh, while the father sends the other brothers out into the fields to work, he lets Joseph kind of lounge around the house, doesn't send him out into the fields. And what makes it even worse is when he does send him out into the fields, he sends him out there to check on the brothers to see whether they're doing what they really should be doing. Well, all of this, of course, just builds up hostility in these brothers and envy, and pretty soon they are just uh, hating Joseph. It grows to that. And the Bible says they hated him and could not speak 
peaceably to him. They didn't have any good thing at all to say to him. Now, while all of this is happening, of course, he has these very special dreams, and we know of his dreams. Remember, he dreams of the sheaves, and they're out working in the field, and all of the sheaves of his brother bow down to his sheave. And then he has this dream in which he sees the sun and the moon and the stars, and, and there are 11 stars up there, and all 11 stars bow down to this one star. And again, the brothers are interpreting this and saying that someday he's going, he thinks he's going to be our master and we're going to have to bow down to him. And they are just really upset by all of this and their hostility begins to grow. And they begin to think how they got going to get, get rid of this guy, you see, get rid of him. And, uh, and opportunity finally comes one day when the father again sends him out into the fields to check on his brothers. And he gets out there and the brothers grab him and they throw him into a cistern. And now they are going to determine that they're going to kill him. And they're going to take his robe and they're going to smear it with the blood of an animal and take that back to Jacob and say that a wild animal killed him and uh, has eaten him up. Reuben, though, stands up for him and says, let's leave him in the cistern there for a while and just see what happens. Reuben then leaves and he thinks he's going to come back and eventually rescue Joseph. But in the meantime, while he is gone, some slave traders on their way down into Egypt come by and uh, so the brothers decide Judah is the one brother Judah speaks up and says, let's sell him to these slave traders. And that's what they do. And Joseph then is taken down into Egypt in irons, and he becomes a slave. Well, in Egypt, of course, he is sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar, of course, is uh, one of the uh, officers in Pharaoh's army. By the way, when it's telling us all this, it also tells us every once in a while, these words are there, and the Lord was with Joseph. And so in this selling into slavery, and the Lord was with Joseph. Or when this happened, the Lord was with Joseph. And here again, you have that word after he is sold into slavery, after he is under Potiphar, the words, and the Lord was with him. Well, he has he's a lot of potential. He's quite a, quite a bright young man. And uh, Potiphar seem, sees this and uh, makes him administrator of his whole estate. Puts him over all production, puts him all the working of the estate and slaves and all of those kind of things. Only one bad thing now, and again, uh, the dark clouds come in. Potiphar's wife looks at this young man who the Bible says quite handsome, quite handsome young man, and uh, she tries to seduce him. And she's making advances toward him. And he is saying no to this. And he's trying to stay away from her. But she keeps after him. And uh, one day she catches him by himself. And she tries to seduce him. Tries to uh, get him to have sex with her. And he says, no, I can't do this. I can't, uh, you can't. That would be to betray your husband. That would be for me to betray my master. And besides, it's a sin against the Lord. And he runs away from her. She grabs some of his clothes and yells, rape. And when the husband comes home, she tells him a fantastic story, and Joseph is thrown into prison. And the darkness again descends, and it looks like he's going to spend the rest of his life now in prison. But then again, you have these words, but the Lord was with him. In prison, of course, that potential also is seen. His administrative ability, his ability to get along with people and all of these things. And before you know it, he is in charge of the whole prison. They give him this responsibility and this responsibility and this responsibility. And he is in charge of the whole thing. Now, there's two prisoners there, though. 
Pharaoh's baker and butler, and they have these weird dreams, and they're wondering how, what they mean, and Joseph interprets those dreams and, uh, for them. And then the baker is eventually executed, the butler is released, and as the butler is being released, he says to Jacob, he says to Joseph, well, won't you speak up for me when you get out of here and say something good about me so that I can get out of here? And of course the butler says, yes, I will do that, and he promptly forgets. So Joseph is there again by himself, and the months and the years go by. And then Pharaoh has these fantastic dreams, and, the, and you know the dreams of the dreams of the, of the fat cows coming out, seven fat cows coming out of the Nile River, and then seven skinny cows coming out of the Nile River, and then the seven uh, stalks of grain, rich, uh, very uh, good grain, and then seven stalks of bad grain. And he can't interpret this, and he's worried about this. What does all this mean? He calls in his priests and his advisors, and they can't come up. And the butler then remembers, and he says, My goodness, in prison I met this guy who can interpret dreams by the power of God. He says, let's call him in. And he comes in, of course, Joseph interprets the dreams and says what this all means is we're going to have seven good years of production in the fields, but then they're going to be followed by seven bad years, and there is going to be famine. And the Pharaoh is very pleased with his interpretation. And then Joseph also has recommendations of how to handle this whole thing, what they should do in order to take care of this terrible problem. And the Pharaoh is so impressed by his advice that he says, I'm going to make you in charge of all of this. And Joseph becomes in charge, second to the Pharaoh now, over all that's going to be happening. And again it says, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was with him. Well, the famine comes. Not only is it over Egypt, but it also goes all the way around the whole area. And hundreds of miles to the north now in Palestine, the family of Joseph, Jacob, and the other sons now begin to feel the, the plight of that famine. There is no food there. And finally, they hear about food in Egypt, and Jacob sends 11 of the sons down to Jacob, 10 of the sons down to Egypt to get food. And of course, you know the story that they appear before Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. He's dressed as an Egyptian. He is speaking Egyptian. They certainly don't expect to find him in this kind of a position. And he questions them, and he determines that the father is still alive. He spends, they spend three days there. He gives them food, and he sends them back. But he says, when you come back, bring Benjamin, your brother Benjamin, with you, the youngest. And that happens short time after that. Then through a stage, uh, through certain stage events, Joseph learns more and more about his brothers. And he also learns that these brothers have changed. They're not the envious, hateful, selfish men they once were. And of course, he's not the brash, spoiled, arrogant teenager he once was. And finally, he has, he cannot hide his identity no longer. And he has to reach out to his brothers. And that's where our text comes in. Now, all of that is in the verses before, in the chapters before. But this is where our text comes in. And he can hold his emotions in no longer. And he orders all of the Egyptians out of the room. And only he and his brothers are left. And he breaks down. And he cries. He says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. And they stand there dumbfounded. Our text uses the word dismayed. They're just dumbfounded. They don't know what to say. They just stand there. They don't even move. And he says, 
it's really me. It's, it, it's really me, the one you sold into slavery. He says, don't be too hard. Don't be too hard on yourselves. God has been in all of this. You see, what's really happening, been happening, he says, is, is God has sent me ahead to keep our family alive. What you meant for evil has turned out for good. Then picture this. It says he went from brother to brother, grabbed each one of them, hugged them, kissed them, you know, in the oriental kind of way you can see this, one by one, weeping the whole time. And what amazes you then, as you read the stories all the way up to this, and then read this, what amazes you is what a man, this young man, has become. That going through all that he went through, he could have become a very angry, hateful, vengeful, grim man. But instead he becomes a God-fearing man, a forgiving man, a gracious man. Could have become a grim man, but he becomes a gracious man. And the lesson here, of course, is this. That as we go through life, we face a choice too, don't we? As we experience the ups and downs of life, as we experience the hurts and pains of life, as we experience sometimes the unfairness of life, what keeps a person from becoming grim and enable them to become gracious? And that's what we want to talk about in the next few minutes. I ask God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. Like I said, Joseph could have become a grim man. He could have become angry with God. And he could have blamed God for being unfair. And he could have turned his back upon God. And I'm sure that at the times he must have questioned and doubted and he must have wondered where God was. I'm sure that at times I was questioned that that word why came into his mind over and over again. Because you see, it would get dark and then all of a sudden there'd be a little bit of light and there'd be some hope and then all of a sudden more darkness would come and it would crush the hope and he would be put down again. Goodness, one disappointment after another. He could have resented his brothers and he could have grown, he could have fed that resentment because that's what happens in life. You get a resentment, and then you keep repeating it, and you keep talking about it, and you keep remembering it, and you can feed that resentment until it becomes hatred, until it becomes grudges. And he could have done the same thing, you know. All through those years, he could have been feeding that resentment, feeding that resentment, feeding that resentment, until it worked its way into a hatred and into a grudge. And he could have dreamed, and he could have planned out how he was going to get even with those brothers if he ever meant them again. And through all those years in prison and slavery, that could have just grown in him too, that once if he ever got a chance, what he would do to get even with them. And he could have eaten the bread of disappointment and wallowed in self-pity so that when Potiphar's Potiphar's wife tempted him, he could have said, what the hell? What difference does it make? And he could have given in to her seduction. All of those things, you see. 
Or he could have given all up all hope. Because it looked like it was just going to continue to get bad and bad and bad. And he's going to spend the rest of his life there in prison. So he could have given up all hope and committed suicide. But he didn't. He could have become cynical and bitter. He could have become a very grim man. Well, the point is this, huh? That like Joseph, all of us are called to live in moments of despair. We also live through moments of disappointment. We also can experience betrayal. We also can experience unfairness. Life is certainly not always fair. And like Joseph, we may have tried to walk in righteousness or try to be faithful and serve our Lord. But it doesn't seem to do any good. And bad things continue to happen. And we too are tempted to be angry and vengeful and filled with self-pity and turn our backs on God. And I'm sure you've seen that in people. And people very become very grim and angry at the world and everything. But Joseph now, in spite of all of this, becomes a gracious man. And the question is, how did he remain that and continue to be that in spite of all that was happening in his life? How did he keep his faith and how did he keep his trust? How? He knew that no matter how things looked on the surface, that God was still alive and God was still present with him and God was still in control. And he knew and he believed and continued to live by this great truth that if we stay close to our God and walk with him in obedience, he will take the bad that touches our lives and bring good out of it. That while it may seem that God has forgotten, may seem that God has forsaken, may seem that God is distant, in those very moments of seeming, he is close by, he is still present. That's the beautiful thing about these, all these stories. For 14 years, all through the stories of Joseph, you keep reading that, and the Lord was with him. When this bad thing happened, even the Lord was with him. And with this darkness descended, even the Lord was with him. And you read that over and over again, and you wonder, why is that there? Because it's what it is showing us, of course, that even in these moments, the Lord is still there. And looking back over the years, he finally realizes that he is where he is, second to Pharaoh, not because of his own doing, not because of luck, not because of chance, but because of God, that God has been at work in his life, that all through these ups and downs, God was getting him ready for what God was going to have him do later in his life. As a 17-year-old, he, of course, was not at all ready for that. But it would take all those years in between. It would take all the ups and downs. It would take the darkness as well as the light. It would take all of that to get him ready for what God had destined him to do in his life. So it is today, too. 
that God is always getting us ready, you see, for something he has for us to do. And in the ups and downs of life, he is working it out. Most certainly he must have had his doubts and his misgivings, and so most certainly he must have questioned. But finally he would always come back to the Lord, and he kept the faith that Job had. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And finally, this great confession of faith, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And many centuries later, the Apostle Paul will experience the same in and out of prison, all kinds of difficulties in his life as he preached the gospel. But he would also repeat that God brings good out of the bad that happens in our lives. And like the Apostle Paul later, even in the darkness, Joseph would look for pins of light and give thanks. So what you see in all of this is God blessing and shaping a man for how he is going to use him. But the one thing to note too, that through all of it, God is still in control. And this too, that Joseph, looking at himself, as he was as a youth, saw his own sin and his own failures, and he knew that he lived by forgiveness, and that in spite of what his brothers may have done to him, he had to pass on to them the same forgiveness that God was giving him. Well, as you look at this whole story and consider it, and then you look ahead in the Bible, and then you soon find another man who suffered all kinds of injustice, who was a victim of evil and hatred, who was cruelly abused and eventually nailed to a cross. And yet in that moment of, that terrible moment, which seems so senseless and so unfair, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And of that very unfair, very dark, very injustice scene, in which it appeared that God was not at all present, he was. And what he was doing was he working out our salvation. So that out of that terrible scene, the great good of forgiveness in heaven came for each and every one of us. And the evidence was three days later when he came out of that grave, Jesus, gloriously alive, gloriously alive, which was evidence of this. Listen, that God is still a God who brings victory out of defeat. God is still a God who brings justice out of injustice. But finally God blesses and brings blessing even out of unfairness, that he brings light out of the darkness. That's who our God is. And so, great story here, great lesson here. As we go through life, grim or gracious, grim or gracious, we'll end up life one or the other, won't we? Let's pray that like Joseph, with the help of our Lord and realizing his word, that we're going to end up as gracious people. We'll be remembered that way. Amen.